beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. to tell you. And you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves. And the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. This is an interactive podcast. Each episode has a prompt and a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to your best friend, or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. Welcome friends to this episode of the 10 things to tell you podcast. I am so glad you're here today because we're going to talk about something I don't get a chance to talk about much and that is writing. Well, okay, we're actually going to talk more about publishing than writing, but I do think for many writers and for many readers, the publishing piece of the writing process is a total mystery. And so since I am squarely still on the writing publishing journey for the first time, I really wanted to pull back the curtain on what this all looks like sort of behind the scenes. I wanted to create a few episodes that I wish that I could have listened to, say, like two years ago, just out of curiosity as a reader and as someone who wanted to be published. So this conversation, episode 111, this one is actually a follow-up to a show I did last summer, episode 73, called I Wrote a Book. In episode 73, I talk about finding an agent and putting together a book proposal and getting the book deal and writing the book and choosing the cover and all of the things that I was pretty steeped in nearly a year ago. And now, 10 months later, I'm on the other side of a book launch. Share your stuff, I'll go first. 10 questions to take your friendships to the next level. 
my first book, it came out in February. So I'm just a couple of months past all of the launching and the marketing and all of that stuff. So I thought that we could touch mostly on that for this episode with me sharing my own behind-the-scenes experience, and also answering questions from you. There's a whole thread about this topic in the 10 Things to Tell You Connection Group on Facebook, and so I took several of your questions to talk about here today. I'm also glad to be joined by a friend for this conversation instead of just winging it solo. I asked my longtime friend and former podcast co-host, Kelly Gordon, to have this conversation with me because I thought it would be more interesting that way since Kelly is so smart and funny and thoughtful, and I just love being on the mic with her. If you're not familiar with Kelly Gordon, she is one of the fearless co-hosts of the Sorta Awesome podcast, a show created and hosted by Meg Teets, and where I cut my teeth in the podcast world alongside the other co-hosts, Rebecca Hoffer, and of course, Kelly, who is with me today. Kelly Gordon lives in Minnesota. She is a mom of four. She's a podcaster. She's also an Emmy-nominated news producer and is currently a producer for Minnesota Public Radio at NPR News. So she is way, way overqualified to chitty chat with me about publishing. But like I said, I just love talking with Kelly. I knew she would make this a great conversation. I also want to tell you about two other places where I do a deep dive about writing and publishing. If you are really into this topic, you want to hear more about it, you want to hear different angles about it, I have two places I'm going to send you. Recently, I was a guest on the Big Boo cast with Sophie Hudson and Melanie Schenkel on their bonus series called Five Questions. And the questions were almost exclusively about my path from being a blogger to being a podcaster to becoming an author. I absolutely adore Melanie and Sophie. They have been longtime blog friends, longtime podcast friends now. They are so funny, and we just had a great chat over there at the Big Boo cast. Of course, as always, I'll put all of these links in the show notes that you can find at 10thingstotellyou.com. Another thing I did, actually one of my favorite things that I've done around the whole book launch was be a Tuesday teacher for the Hope Writers Group. If you don't know what Hope Writers is, it's an online community of writers co-founded by my dear friend, Emily P. Freeman, that is dedicated to helping you make progress as you learn to balance the art of writing with the business of publishing. If you are a writer or a wannabe writer, even if you're already an author, the Hope Writers community is just fantastic. There is so much information and inspiration and encouragement, including these Tuesday teacher segments that they have every week with writers and agents and publishers, all kinds of people who have something to teach you about writing and publishing. So I got to be a Tuesday teacher back in February and had the best conversation with Emily that was recorded and is available for you to watch for free. We talk about why blogging was foundational for me as I honed my writing skills. We talked about how rejection of your work can also be formative. I share about the numerous rejections I've gotten over the years. We also talk about why our work needs to be relevant to the reader. It was just a great conversation. The hour flew by way too quickly. And like I said, it is available for you to watch for free if you go to hopewriters.com slash Laura, L-A-U-R-A. 
Also, if you think Hope Writers might be a community that you'd love to be a part of, you can also receive a $1 trial of Hope Writers for two weeks. That freebie video is again at hopewriters.com slash Laura. And as always, I will put these links in the show notes. All right, now to my conversation with my friend Kelly Gordon with all the behind the scenes details of my recent publishing journey of my first book, Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First, available wherever you buy books. Kelly, my friend, welcome to 10 Things to Tell You for the very first time. I am so excited to be talking to you on this show. I am so excited too. When I got your email and you said, hey, would you like to come on to 10 Things to Tell You and talk to me about the book thing? I was like, yes. And then what did I do? I did not like eat, text you back. <laughs> I, I, I like, I got so excited in my head and I like zoomed around my house like this will be so much fun. And then I didn't get to properly express like how glad I am to be here. Well, I'm so glad you're here. I just want the listeners to know a little bit about you and about us as friends, because if they aren't familiar, you and I have been friends for years and years and years, and not only just friends, personal friends, which we were first, but also we have been Mm co-hosts together. We were co-hosts on the Sorta Awesome podcast with our mutual friend, Meg. She created founded that show, Sort of Awesome, and we are the original co-hosts. You are, of course, still there every week on that amazing Girlfriend Chat show. But we have been on mic together, is what I'm trying to say, for a long time. This feels really familiar. It does. And in fact, I was just thinking when you brought up Meg, that she, her invitation to both of us to join her on Sort of Awesome and to be co-hosts was the gateway drug, if you will, into podcasting for both of us. Because she said, hey, here's a door. Would you like to walk through it with me? And then that we didn't even know at the time how life-changing that would be. I know, right? That was a million years ago. But we were already friends when Meg mm-hmm. reached out to us to do that. We were friends because we met in an internet group, a Facebook group for bloggers. This was a really long time ago. This was like in, I don't know, 2012, I think. That's what I was going to say. Because I don't think, here's the crazy thing, is it probably hasn't even been 10 years ago, but the way that life moves these days and the way that time and technology changes, it feels like eons ago. It was back when we were all still mommy blogging sort of things. And it wasn't that that was all that we ever wrote about, but that was really how we first bonded was this internet group. We were all bloggers. We needed, we originally just wanted to have like other people to talk about you know, metrics and, and SEO and how do you write and what's your systems? And then we just became really good friends. Mm -hmm. It became a friend group. And then it became Mm -hmm. a group that got together once a year for like a retreat that we're obviously behind on because of COVID and I'm missing those faces. But I write about this internet group in my book, actually Mm -hmm. in the belonging chapter, because belonging into that group of women strong women, creative writers, like just, it was a really amazing time in my life. And we're all still friends. We all still do our weekend retreat when we're not in a global pandemic and nobody else is blogging in that group. I mean, I don't even blog. Does anybody blog? I don't know. It was a bloggers, I, but now we're, now we're podcasters and friends. Some of us. That's right. Yes. I, I think that everybody has kind of gone into their own thing. So some of us still do media like podcasting or newsletters, or I think a few have started blogs or of course, you know, micro blogging, Instagram, 
there's so many more options today than there were back then, but the friendship is what sustained us. I know, right? I loved it so much. It meant so much to me. But speaking of the book, because I write about that group in the book, I wanted to do a follow-up to an episode from last summer about writing the book. I wanted Mm -hmm. to do a follow-up about publishing the book and launching the book because when I was just holding becoming an author as a dream, I always wanted to hear more and more behind the scenes of like what the process was like how does this work? You know, who decides this? Like I was just craving all that information. And so I, in some ways doing these episodes is just like creating the thing that I always wish I could have listened to, (laughs) Yes, you know? So it's a bit of a departure from what 10 things to tell you normally is, but it's just been a huge part of my year, a huge part of my life. And the book of course came out of this show. So I just felt like this is something I really wanted to talk about. Absolutely. And in fact, I went back and re-listened to episode 73, which is where you talk about finding a agent and, and how to write a book proposal. And it's so good and it's so fascinating. But as someone myself, I've never really thought about writing a book. Like that's not my, that's not my dream. That was still fascinating. But I think that what we're going to talk about today, the actual publishing of it, the launch of it into the media world, which I would guess that probably every single person who is listening to us right now has seen that in your social media feed. They've seen it on the podcast. And so now we get to talk about the nitty gritty behind the scenes, which is what everybody loves. And this is like, okay, I've seen this. I want to know what really happened and how it really went. Even if we've never dreamed of publishing a book, this is the real stuff. Okay. I'm ready to to talk about all of it because I have big thoughts. I also asked in the connection group for the show, if you want to join the 10 things to tell you connection group, there's always a link to that in the show description or on the website, 10 things to tell you. I asked them, you know, what they would want to know about publishing, like all the burning questions they might want to ask. And so we have some listener questions. And then we also just have some things I kind of want to share about the process. So let's just launch in. What do we want to start with big picture? So here's a really, I think a good question. It it ties the old episode to this one. Last time on days of our lives, you had said (laughs) that you really thought that traditional publishing is, it was the right thing for you. Even though we all know if you're familiar with the publishing world at all, that there is a very large section right now of people who are self-publishing books, which you said back then, you know, can maybe make you more money, but it's, it's going to be more work, all the different things. You might not have the platform, the people to help really push you into success. How do you feel about it now? Do you still think that traditional publishing is like the way, or is it something that we're moving on from? I keep thinking about this uh, because I'm thinking about my own career and I'm just sort of watching all the different things, all the different pieces that come with launching the book, including the financial piece, including just a lot of the logistics of distribution of the book around the nation, around the world. So there's a few reasons that I wanted to publish traditionally. And one of them was just like the prestige and clout of it. Like, I just will say that you know, plainly, like I wanted what I thought was like a stamp of approval from a gatekeeper who paid me money up front to create this book. And I'm actually in a two book deal, which we're going to talk about later. So they paid me to create two books. And that sort of status of it mattered to me after having toiled away on the internet for a decade. Like that was something I cared about. Another thing that has really shaken out that would have been very hard for me to piece together 
myself was all these different logistics. Like um, I had an outside editor, like a freelance editor that helped me, you know, marketing pieces, the, the books, the advanced reader copies that went to press, that went to, you know, bookstagrammers that do book reviews, the swag bag things that went out to influencers. Like those, those are all marketing pieces really that would have been very difficult for me to do on my own. Not to mention some of the press that came out, you know, when I'm promoing the book. So there's a million moving parts that would have been difficult for me to manage all on my own. However, there's a lot of things about traditional publishing that do feel way behind every other entertainment realm. Of course, the internet, which moves at lightning speed, but even movies, which my husband makes or TV all seems to happen faster not the getting the deals and getting the agent and all of that stuff that can be slow for anybody trying to, you know, create something, but the actual process of making the thing, traditional publishing feels really slow. It takes a really long time. It takes years. So in that way, and those are all big ways, right? Marketing, getting paid up front, not having to manage a lot of logistics in the distribution all of those things are really important. However, if you don't have like a platform that's going to get you a deal or you're not doing it for the clout, you know, like if you're doing it as a, as a side piece of your business, as a thing that's going to help sell whatever your other business is, if it's a fiction piece that you're writing that you really just want to put out into the world and, you know, you don't, you don't care about being on Good Morning America or whatever, you know, like there's a lot of different reasons that someone might want to write a book. And I think that there are so many good ways to self-publish and the financial piece, which I talked a little bit about on the, on the last episode. Now, again, you are, you're thinking about if you want to get paid up front or if you want to get paid every time someone buys a book, those are two different numbers yeah, business pretty models. much mm-hmm. right so it is a business model thing that you have to think about or a reason for doing it or if time is of the essence for you because like I said it's a it, uh, writing a book is part of your other business or whatever and so you really just need to get this thing out there to to sell these other pieces of your business or because you're a speaker and you want to have books at your speaking gigs I mean there's a lot of reasons that like time is of the essence that you really need an expediency. You cannot wait two years on the traditional publishing model. Then I think that self-publishing is becoming way more common, way less uh, inferior. Like to me, Mm -hmm. I'm likening it to when match.com first came on, you know, when internet dating was still like side eye, like, you know, like if that's what you have to do. Right. Yeah. You know, like if no one else will take you and you're going to have to go to this, you know, like plan D route, then okay. And and that's, I think, how we've looked at self-publishing for a lot of years. Like, well, if no one will publish your book and you just want to put it out there, you can always self-publish. But it seemed, it d- did seem like a lesser option. But you know what? When people... So then when people were meeting on match.com, they would maybe have a very successful relationship out of that and they would hide where they met. That exact same thing is happening in publishing. You might have a very successful self-publishing thing. And a lot of times, first of all, the audience doesn't know. Self-publishing has come a long way. It's not, doesn't look like you printed it at Kinko's. Like it has, a, you know, a desk 
jacket. Like it can be hardcover. It can have a very beautiful design. Like your average reader might not know, especially if they buy it on Amazon or they buy it anywhere online where if you don't care who the publisher is and most readers don't, you're not even going to check the spine or check the credits or, you know, whatever. And self-publishing is has really just come a long way in the same way that internet dating is now like a totally normal thing. Mm-hmm. I think people self-publishing so that they have a book that lends credence to their to their business or their platform or whatever. Like I just, it's not going to be, it already isn't uh, a bad idea. Now, there are some things about self-publishing. I think that if, if you were going to take this route, if anyone listening thought they were going to take this route, you have to invest your own money up front, not just in the printing of it or however you choose to self-publish. You can always uh, just do an E version of whatever you're writing. But, you know, one of the main differences I think that people could instantly tell a self-published book versus a traditionally published book is the editing. So a traditionally published book is going to have gone through multiple rounds of pretty intense editing, not just content editing, but also copy editing. There are no typos. There are no, you know, and so you are going to have to pay for that yourself to end up with a really polished piece that's going to take the place of going through all the rounds of doing this in the traditional publishing machine. So I do think this is where publishing is going, even though I'm going to continue to publish uh, with my publisher, who I've had a great relationship with and have loved. I have another book due with them, and I do hope to continue writing books, and I don't know what that'll look like in a few years because this is all a landscape that's changing pretty quickly. But I wanted to talk about that even more so than I did on that first episode because to me, the internet is just the great equalizer of Mm -hmm. like, anybody can do this. Yes. It's a different, like you said, business model where you, you might have to pay at the beginning and hope you sell enough that you break even or make money, which is harder. If you don't have a platform, if you do have a platform, you probably have the ability to get a traditional book deal, but then you have to think about if that's really what you want, if that's going to make you the Mm -hmm. most money, if you want to wait two years, All of that is something to consider. And I just keep talking about it. It keeps coming up in different writing groups that I'm in. If you're not in in a writing creative industry, maybe you can't even see how much it's changing. So I want to just like put it out there of like self-publishing isn't something to look down on at all. I want to go back real quick and talk about marketing because I know that that's one of the things that has been very tenuous when it comes to the traditional publishing route is that it seems like for a lot of authors, especially first-time authors, a lot of the marketing budget or help or support has been stripped away. So you're saying that was not true for you. You did have marketing collateral to spend, so to speak, with your publisher? Well, they did marketing pieces, yes. I mean, as the author, I wasn't like in on what all of those dollar figures were. Right. (laughs) I didn't know the full budget that was happening down in in the publisher's office, but sure, they spent money on my swag bag boxes. Like I said, um, they, you know, had advanced reader copies printed. They paid for my freelance editor. Um, that's not marketing, but I mean, there is, you know, they had money to invest in this book okay. and, you know, they had a marketing person that helped me with social media ads. I don't know how to do social media ads. Again, some of these things are 
things you can piecemeal, you can find yourself a person to help you buy social media ads. Of course, you would then have to pay for them yourself. So yes, they have, you know, marketing, they did have a marketing budget that they use towards my book and probably in ways like, I don't even know all the different ways that they bought things or, or helped the book along. I don't know all those things. It's like, it is a corporation that's happening. Right. Well, and, and that's the good and the bad, right? So that's an interesting point is that when there is this team that's on your side, sometimes they're working and you don't even know all the things they're doing to make it go smooth. So Right. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating and, yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full-body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben-free. It is also pH-balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, Dot com and use code U-Y-O-U. Y'all know that I love to play games on my phone to unwind, and I am always looking for a new one to download. And I recently ran across Two Dots, and I want to tell you about it. Two Dots is a free-to-download, puzzle-based game that involves connecting dots through relaxing puzzles while unlocking levels and collecting prizes along the way. There are different gameplay modes to make the experience unique and exciting with every single puzzle. There are over 5,000 distinct puzzles with various power-ups and special dots ready to earn as you move through the levels. The in-app music and visually stimulating interface provide a soothing experience when you just want to relax and unwind. Not only is Two Dots free to download, but it can also be played without internet connection. So playing on the go offline is a breeze. And if you don't want to play alone, you can challenge your friends on Facebook, as well as connect with the larger Two Dots community for even more engagement. If you're looking for the perfect game to help you relax, but also keep you engaged, download Two Dots for free on Android and iOS. You mentioned the swag bag. So let's talk about like launch trends and that sort of stuff. So you, you launched this baby into the world and it was a thing, Lord Tremaine. It was a thing. So I want to talk before we actually even get to launch day, like all the stuff that you have to do to build up to launch day, you know, it's the pre-order bonuses in the, in the olden days, which was like two or three years ago, people put together book launch teams. Um, I saw you do some of these things and I saw you not do some of these things. What did you do and why? Well, it's still a little early to know if these were all the exact right decisions or what I will do mm-hmm. again or not do again. Like I'm still sort of watching the numbers on this or watching the reaction or, or whatever. So I 
chose to do one of the real trendy things, which was have a pre-order bonus. And I chose not to do one of the trendy-ish things that might be going away, which is to have a launch team. And here was my reasoning on this. There's a lot of different launch trends that are going to come and go. And I was real hesitant to do pre-order bonuses at first, not because I don't think they work. And that's why I ended up deciding to do them. I do think they work. But also they sort of feel like a bribe, (laughs) which it's like, please buy my book and then you'll get 10 free things. So there's nothing wrong with a bribe. Like there's no, or incentive. Bribe is probably the wrong connotation. (laughs) Well, because you're not, you're just trying to incentivize them. You're trying to lure them down into doing something that's good, right? Yes, but I, I understand what you're saying. You're like, well, shouldn't the book be able to stand alone? Is this cheapening it somehow? Are people like, if I have to make them do it? Do they really want to do it? Right. Which, you know, that also depends on your platform size or if you're a newbie author or whatever, like I am. I didn't have any, you know, proof that the book would be any good. So, of course, I wanted to incentivize people to take a risk on it. Whereas, you know, bigger authors don't have to do that in any way. You're going to buy it or you're not if you're a fan or you're not. So I had mixed feelings on the pre-order bonuses because I just felt like I don't mind incentivizing you, but it can feel like. I've seen other authors have incentives that felt to me like just they'll throw everything in the kitchen sink at you. Like if you buy the book, you'll get everything I've ever made for free. Like, you know what I mean? It just felt, I felt like, well, that, what is that about? Now, on the one hand, if you've already created a course or an ebook or whatever, and then now you're going to give it away for free. Now that I've done all of this, that's actually smarter because you already have this thing Mm -hmm. that now you can make free. Maybe you've made as much money as you can charging for it. Like I said, a course or an ebook or a product, whatever. Now that someone, now that you're trying to sell a book, someone's going to buy your book. So you can just give those things away for free. That actually seems smarter to me on the other end of it. When I was planning my pre-order bonuses, I actually did not want to do that because I felt like it just felt random to me. It felt like your course doesn't even have anything to do with your book. Yes. And so it felt like very weird to me. So now that I have done pre-order bonuses, which I chose to do because I do think that they work. And also I chose bonuses that I was genuinely excited about and that I genuinely wanted to do. So my main, my three pre-order bonuses was a journal, a companion journal to the book, which I outsourced. I did not design that myself. I, I paid someone to create that journal for me. So that was no skin off my, I wrote it. Like I wrote all the questions and everything, but that was not much work on my end. And it went directly with the book, the secret tapes, which was a private podcast series interviewing the people that I wrote about in the book, which I personally wanted to do. That was a project I was very invested in on a personal level. So that was uh, a lot of actually ended up being a ton of work, but that was very fulfilling for me personally. So that didn't feel like, you know, what am I doing? And then three, a share your stuff book club, which I also, you know, it was also benefiting me. I was trying out what I like, if I enjoyed doing a book club, I also wanted to walk people through the book. Like those were all three things that I genuinely wanted to give. And so it didn't feel random to me. So I was happy to do that, but okay. The other side of it is I worked so hard on those three pre-order bonuses, just time-wise and investment-wise that you buying a $20 book is not for my time is not 
Like those things don't match up. Like I put so much justification. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like I was like, oh, I see why more seasoned authors than myself give away something that they've already done, that they're not creating from scratch two months before their book launch. That's like creating a whole new product that, you know, was worth more than what people paid for the book. And so I'm glad I did those things because again, I wanted to do those things and I'm, I'm proud of how they all turned out, but I don't think that next time I will do such an intense pre-order bonus because some of these things are things that people could pay for if they wanted them or, you know, I just, if I feel like I gave away a lot of, of time and value for free and yeah. So I just, I have mixed feelings about the pre-order bonuses, not my own, but about it theoretically. And if I will do that same kind of thing again, right. Also, because it was my first book, I really wanted people to buy it. Like I really wanted yep. the launch to go well. I really wanted to have these companion things with it. That meant a lot to me and I, that I thought would really enhance the reader experience, but going forward. It's not your first book. It's not my first book. Like, I feel like I don't need to make such, not make such a splash. Obviously I want everything I write to sell well, but like, I don't need to put all of my eggs in the basket. That's not the right metaphor. I just like put all of the, every ounce of my being into this book launch. And I can sort of see other friends who are much further down the road. They still launch books. They still do a lot of promo. They still love their books and talk about their books and hope their books sell, but they're not like bone deep in the launch like I was. (laughs) I think maybe you only do that the first time, you know? I mean, that makes sense though. There's kind of a, I don't want to say this in a bad way, but like a desperation, right? You you really want to prove yourself. You really believe in this product. You really want it to do well and you don't have a track record. So you're like, I've got to make, this is my shot in that sense. Like, you know, you talked in the old episode about how things don't always have to be like, this is your one shot. At, and then if you fail, you fail, but you're like, this is, this is big. And I want this to go well. And so you do have so much writing on that first book. I think it makes sense. But now yeah. what about the launch team? So for the launch team, I, in anticipation of my book, I joined a few launch teams or, or I talked to author friends who had done the launch team thing. And it just felt like, um, you know, I also talked to people in my audience who had been on other launch teams. I sort of mm. like ask, what what did you like about it? What did you not like about it? Whatever. It sort of felt like, I don't know. It just felt like maybe this is a thing that is a trend that is sort of going away a little bit. Now, they're so useful in some ways. You can get your launch team to post on social media, put ratings and reviews on the major sites, which that those things all move the needle and actually really, really matter. So launch teams can be really effective, but I think they're just becoming less popular because readers are like, yeah, it's not worth it for me to be part of this. It takes up time. I don't want to be in another Facebook group. Sometimes you get the book for free if you're in a launch team. Sometimes you don't. It's just that everyone I talked to, it just felt like, I don't know that that's how I want to use my ask you know, of my listeners or, or my readers, like I, I want them to buy the book. I, that's what I want my ask to be. My ask to you is not be in this group and hype me up. My ask is, will you please purchase the book? Everything else you do is bonus. And, and I sort of traded out a little bit of making the share your stuff book club. Um, it wasn't a launch team by any means, but like, you know, the energy that I'm going to give to Facebook or the energy that I'm going to give to a group of readers is going to be this book club and to walk through the book together versus like 
continually asking them to do for me. Right. Yes. And I do think that it has become something that you see so much on social media that if you follow the certain people, you know, you're going to see everybody posting about it and then it becomes less effective, you know, because you're, it's just not, it's people start to gloss over a little bit at the beginning. It was, Oh, wow. Look, there's all this energy around this book. And then when it happens for everything or for everyone that, you know, you're like, Oh yeah, I I know about the book. I'm not interested. You know? So just, you're just saying that you chose where to put your energy because you could only do so much. Right. And it can also have the opposite effect of what you're saying. Now that everybody's savvy to launch teams, I think at the beginning when they were kind of like secret or exclusive and you saw a book everywhere launch week, you're like, wow, this is a really popular book. But now when you see it everywhere with certain language or hashtags or whatever, you think, oh, this is a book launch team doing their thing. Right. And so it doesn't make you want to buy the book more or not. You're like, oh, these people are doing the launch right. team thing. Yes. Yeah. Like we've, we've, be, we've become savvy to how the promo works, especially yes. if you've ever been, even if you've ever only been on one launch team, you're like, oh, I see what's happening here. You know, yes. the curtain has been pulled back. Totally. Okay. So let's talk about the big week, the day of launch, the week of launch. Just walk us through, Laura. This was as an outsider, it seemed so overwhelming and I don't mean in a bad way. Like it was just like, there was so much happening. There was so much excitement. And of course it was in the middle of the pandemic. So that changed everything too. So just tell us how that went. Well, it was one of the best days of my life. <laughs> Good. I mean, but here's the thing, this has been your dream, right? So I think that's what we all want to hear. Like if you said, I was so looking forward to this day and then everything fell apart, that would make me sad. So just as your friend, I'm glad, I'm glad it was such a good day. Well, that's kind of what I was uh, fighting against is I was so looking forward to this day and it was nothing, you know, like it was anticlimactic because two things, one, I had always envisioned or not always, but for years, as I've seen, you know, friends and other people go through this, I always thought I was going to have a launch party. In fact, I have thrown book launch parties for friends out of complete love and because I love to throw a party period, but also thinking one day it's going to be me. You know, it's sort of like when you're the bridesmaid and like you do all the wedding things for your friend because you think that one day it's going to be you. So like the energy is so similar (laughs) to that. You're right. That's a really good analogy. It's so similar. And then of course, you know, pandemic. <laughs> so there was no one not can travel. Going, no one can travel. There's not going to be a launch party. There's not going to be a book tour. I had also genuinely looked forward to having a book tour. I love, you know, going around to bookstores. I was going to love meeting readers or like, you know, doing readings or whatever like that really appeals to me. So I really had looked forward to those things. And of course, pandemic. So that along with the idea of, I'd also seen many an author friend post about how like launch day is just like, you know, you still have to like feed your kids and brush your teeth and it's a normal day, but it's your launch day. And I was like, oh no, 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 it's not. (laughs) You're like, not for me, not for me. I will brush my teeth, but everything else will be different. (laughs) I was like, no, I don't want it to be a normal day and I can't do anything else. So like I ordered this big poofy dress from uh, Needle and Thread London is the name of the company that I'd followed online forever. And they make big poofy dresses like this. And so I was like, for a year or more, I'd been thinking that's the dress I'm going to wear to my launch party. I thought I was going to wear it to a launch party. Wah, wah. It's okay. 
So I ordered the dress the months before, like around Christmas time when I realized like, oh yeah, this really actually isn't going to happen. We're still in pandemic. I, you know, was like, well, what will make this day special to me? And I was like, I'm going to eat all my favorite foods and have all my favorite drinks. And I'm going to have balloons for myself. And like that, I just was going to do that for myself. Now I talked about this on a recent episode of this show of how to celebrate yourself. Celebrating myself, that was not a whole new idea to me. I've thrown my own birthday parties before. Like I've been like, of the mentality, what is going to make this special for me? What will have me falling into bed and being like, that was amazing. I have had that thought around other things before. So it wasn't like a total novelty to be like, all right, how I'm going to make this launch day memorable. But what made it extra special was all the things that I didn't plan and was completely taken off guard from like, you know, I got flowers from friends. My mastermind group sent me a big Walmart white sheet cake with champagne. Those were my two favorite things. You know, I had friends that sent me cookies with the book yeah, cover on the cookies. Yeah. yeah like I, people were just so kind. And I think that it was because, you know, I don't know that I would have gotten all that fanfare if there hadn't been a pandemic. Like I think people are just excited to celebrate one another, to ex- excited to celebrate anything, excited to send a gift or like even online as the day went on. And I was posting all day on launch day, like even people who just we're seeing this for the first time. They went out and bought Dr. Peppers and people were like drinking their Dr. Pepper and, you know, they're having their chicken wings and then posting it on social media to celebrate with me. And they were doing that on social. And I think it's just because we're all craving yeah. fun and just something to be a part of. And, and so happiness, that, it, you know, like this year has been so dark and so, you know, people being divided. And so just to be like, here's something that we can all get behind and we can be happy for you. And we can see that, you know, like we can see the joy on your face because you were posting all day, you know, like to see your dress and to see you owning, like, this is my day I'm celebrating. Who doesn't want to be on that train? Yeah. So I think that part was all organic and then just sort of happened. And that's what made it extra special, like, because joy is contagious and it's fun to be a part of something. And even if that hadn't happened, I still would have had a fun day because I set myself up to have a fun day like that, but it made it, 50 times better that people jumped on board and were sharing their own, their own participation in my launch day. That was so fun. And then at the end of the day, in the evening, Jeff had arranged a Zoom with, it was probably, I don't know how many people, maybe 40 people or something like with just friends and family all over the US. Like just, it was like 15, 20 minutes. It was not a long Zoom. It was almost just like raise a glass, like a toast. And That was so emotional to me. And I did not think it would be like, we're all on Zoom all the time. Like, you know, uh, you know, but just like being able to raise a glass with my friends in South Carolina, with my friends in New York City, like all the way across the ocean, it was like six for them, 9 p.m., six for us, 9 p.m. for them. And that would have never happened if, even if I'd had a traditional launch party, I wouldn't have been able to see their faces. And I just, that that part almost makes me cry. And it was at the end of the day because I was just like, oh, there are some things about this that are even better than a regular celebration would have been. So it wasn't anticlimactic, but was it, how was it? Because it was that day, but then you just kind of continue on, right? Launch day happens and then it's kind of like launch week. How did you feel? Was it exhausting at some point? Because 
all the energy had to be kind of contained here. You know, like you said, you didn't have the traditional outlets of a launch party and a book tour. It was like you all the time. It was a lot of me. And actually everything that I just said, everything that I just waxed on about for my launch day, that wasn't a planned marketing effort. Like that was just me having a launch day. So the rest of that week, there was a lot of things that were planned for me through the publicists, through the publisher. I was on a lot of other podcasts. I did Instagram lives. I did some TV, which was really fun. And that, that went on, I mean, for over a month, I feel like I did promo. I that's just now starting to wind down two months out. I'm still doing until like last week, I was still doing other people's podcasts and things a couple of times a week. And I want to continue to do that. I actually love being on other people's podcasts. And so that, you know, that was all fine, but there was a lot of obligations. I guess I should say this. There was a lot of marketing obligations outside of the launch day, which was just fun that I did not plan. So I guess that's the question that fits into what this episode is, is, you know, they want you to be on every outlet you can to talk about the book. And I tried to do that. Right. So how do you feel now? Like you said, so it's maybe starting to wind down. You're two months out. Do you feel like that was good? Are you exhausted? I mean, you're, you're still talking about this book. Are you excited to keep talking about the book? I am exhausted. Actually, I don't mind talking about the book. I'm still excited to talk about the book. And it feels like there's a a fresh angle, you know, everybody has their own spin on what they want to talk about or like, you know, I mean, so that has, I have not tired of talking about the themes or the messages of share your stuff. And I'm really passionate about that. I am, I am tired just because I am a one woman machine of things that only I can do. You know, you can't like have, you can't hire someone else to do the interview, you know? And as I've talked about on this show in the last year, I have only recently, you know, hired people to help me at all. I hired a podcast editor finally after years of doing it myself. I hired an assistant finally after years of answering or not answering every single email myself. And so, and those relationships are still pretty new to me. And so I did all of this stuff with them helping me for sure, but there's just a lot that I still do myself. And of course, then I have to do all the marketing pieces as me. And so I, next time I will do this differently. It's too much for one person to like also have a family and Mm -hmm. also be in a pandemic and also be (laughs) taking on every single task of this. That's just my own problem that I haven't learned to outsource, you know, 11, 12 years into trying to make this a career. I have still not figured out exactly how to help myself. Um, not to say that it wouldn't have been busy regardless, like it's a lot on the schedule, you right. know, but I keep too much on my plate that doesn't all have to be me. I am not good at delegating and I try to control, I have control tendencies that don't help me. I think I have control freakness about something, but what ends up happening is because I want to control it. I want it to be perfect. That thing actually never gets done mm-hmm. because I say I have to do it my exact way. Let's talk about social media for a second. Like there's some social media that I'm like, oh no, I have to do every piece of the social media because when someone else does it, it doesn't, that graphic doesn't really look how I would want it to. That caption isn't how I would write it. Um, 
whatever. And so I get real, I hold that way too tight. Well, you know, what ends up happening is that I don't post for a week. So mm-hmm. no one knows I have a new episode. No one knows I have, how is that doing me any favors? Wouldn't it be better if someone else posted, there's a new episode. Mm-hmm. And if they just use a different word than I would use, like who cares? Right. That's not the most important thing, but it is, it's hard for us to get over that. Yeah. Those of us with perfectionist kind of control issues, as you will say. I'm really interested to see what happens in the future because you are doing all of this in the middle of a pandemic and it's your first time. So, you know, would some of the more traditional things make it easier or harder? I don't know. Like if it's, it was different, like you said, launch day was different than it would have been if you'd had a launch party, you know, maybe because you've had to do it all or because everything was different. So then, you know, the traditional things aren't at your disposal, Like, I wonder, would you still, as things continue to loosen and more people get vaccinated, like, would you still want to go back and do a book tour? I mean, if the interest is there, like if the, you know, moment hasn't passed, I would love to still go around and like I said, meet readers or do readings or just talk about the things that I'm really passionate about that are in the book. I would still love to do that maybe in the fall or winter if that feels safe to people. And and again, if the interest is there, um, I would still love to do that. I do think that all of these pieces, I don't know why I keep, I feel like I keep repeating this, but obviously this is something I need to learn. So I'm just going to keep saying it, that with the second book or or third book or fourth book, anything after this, I feel like there is less to prove. I feel like I can stand behind my work. I think I wrote a good book. I think that I am really proud of what I put out there. And I feel like I can stand beside the work differently in the future versus with this first one, there was just so much like proving myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm tying that to the, would I go on book tour or not? Because I think that my original idea of going on a book tour is you're doing it to like sell books and it's part of the hoopla and the whatever. Well, if I'm doing, if I end up able to do some semblance of a book tour next winter, like almost a year after the thing has come out, it's a different energy. It's more about like, I really want to talk about connection and sharing ourselves and our stories and all of that. That is a different energy than like, please buy my book. Right. Right. Because people probably have bought it and read it. And now they want to talk to you about the book. Yes. The conversation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The conversation will be different. It will be now we'll be like, oh, we can actually talk about the book for us. Like, you know, book signings often at the beginning, nobody has read the book. They just want you to sign it or whatever. Yeah. They're excited about it. Okay. So before we move on to some, you know, reader listener questions, tell us then what is next. So you, you said you have a two book deal. What does that mean? Are you, do you have an idea? Like what, what's happening next? I do have an idea that I did not have when I, when I sold share your stuff as a two book deal. I did the two book was the second book was TBD I did not know, have any idea what it was going to be about. But now that I've written share your stuff and have been talking about all these things for a long time, I can't totally, well, first of all, I haven't written it yet. So (laughs) I can't totally reveal, nor do I have a thing to reveal, but I do know what it's about loosely. And it is going as a surprise to me, it is actually going to be somewhat of a companion to share your stuff in that it's not the exact same idea, but it's obviously not writing the exact same book, but like it's, they will go together. And I think they will go together in a really beautiful way. And I'm super excited to write like the next stage of this. I've been talking to people for a year and a half about connecting and sharing. The natural question is like, and then what? (laughs) 
You know what I mean? Right. So I feel like the second book is the and then what piece. After the second book. No, I'm sorry. The second book is and then what after share your stuff. Got it. But I haven't written it yet. So, you know, talk to me in a year and maybe I'll be like, just kidding. That's not what I wrote at all. (laughs) Because that's how it goes, right? So do you have a timeline, a rough timeline for yourself or from your publisher, like what they would like to see? Well, they're actually being really, you know, they're letting me choose that if I, I can write it and it could come out in the next year and a half. Or if I just say, you know what, it's all too close. I've been doing too much. I'm burned out. Then it would come out in three years. Like they've been very open handed about that, which I love because that's no pressure. You know, they're not like, okay, now what, now what, now what, which I know some people get that. I mean, even Jeff, my husband, sometimes if he makes a successful thing and then the powers that be are like, okay, now you have to make the next thing right now. My publisher's not being that way at all. I do think because it is sort of a companion book that I do want it to come out sooner rather than later. But again, I haven't written it. (laughs) Right. And we just went through a national pandemic, global pandemic, you know, like it's been a lot of energy. So I know that we all, we would wish you the best and we want book two, but we also want you to take care of yourself. It's not every day that you find a product that you truly love and want to shout about from the rooftops. Well, friends, I have found something that I am genuinely excited to share with you today, and that is Born Shoes. Born Shoes are made with the best top quality leather with functional stitching and flexibility. They are lightweight, but they're also supportive. They are great for all casual occasions, extremely comfortable, and especially good for travel. The brand recently gifted me a pair of the Ithaca style sandals. Of course, they are beautiful. The footbed has extra foam for added comfort and with a slight heel for lift. I am positive that I could walk all over London in this pair of shoes, just like I did in my Born Sandals last summer. Born Shoes offers sandals, flats, boots, and heels in several styles and color choices. Take comfort in Born Shoes. Every season, they make high-quality shoes that feel as good as they look. With artistic touches, unparalleled craftsmanship, and exquisite materials, Born designs shoes to satisfy the demands of every lifestyle. Go to bornshoes.com for a 15% discount plus free ground shipping on all full-price shoes when you use my promo code TELL. That's born, B-O-R-N, shoes, S-H-O-E-S, dot com, and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping, available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. Okay, so some questions here. So Jen wrote and asked, I'm curious about the literal layout of your book and the order of it all. You know, was it you or did your editor move things around? Because it really has a perfect order to it. And I wonder if it's like you imagined as you wrote. And that's such a good question because for those of you who have not read or have seen the book, it really does have a beautiful flow and look to it. So how did that come about? I did the layout. I mean, I didn't do the design of it. The polka dots and all of that were made by a designer, but the order of the chapters and the structure of the book. So I'm not sure if she's asking about like layout or structure, yeah. but I think she's acting well, about structure. Just, yeah, ask, yeah, both maybe. And yeah, structure, because it's the order of it. You know, did you move things around? Like you said before that you did not write as it appears, right? You didn't start in chapter one and then work your way through. No, but I had the outline, you know, I had the chapters, what the main questions were and what stories went in one chap in what chapter. 
And I didn't write it in order. Like I didn't start with who are you, but I had that order laid out and I knew I wanted to start with who are you? And I knew I wanted to end with what do you believe? My publisher actually asked me to not swap those, but they questioned if who are you should be first or last. Like they thought maybe you should read this whole book, sort of figuring out who you are. And then by the end, you answer, who are you? Hmm. But because I was like, no, I'm not asking who you are on a soul level. Like the, who are you question is really about like, it's more just like, who are you? And how do you identify yourself? Is it your work? Is it your relationships? Is it where you live? Is it your hobbies? Whatever. And I want people to start brainstorming on that right at the beginning. I want to know who you are. And then by the time you get to the end, what do you believe you've figured out a lot of different things, hopefully. Um, So that was all me. My editor, Liz, who I think in the book, she helped me figure out a couple of the chapter orders. So for example, chapter three, what are you afraid of? Which was the chapter we gave away for free. It was the audiobook chapter that I released on this show. What are you afraid of used to come later in the book. It used to be like chapter eight-ish because I felt like that was a very heavy chapter. I didn't want a heavier chapter towards the beginning of the book. My original layout had been, you know, it sort of starts light and gets really heavy. She suggested that we have a heavy, you know, we balance it out a little bit more instead of it being light to heavy, that it's a, a mix. So we moved, what are you afraid of to the beginning? That's the only major, or not the beginning, but to chapter three. That's one of the only major chapter moves that I can think of. All of the rest of it was kind of how I laid it out. Now, again, I didn't write it in in the order that it that you read it. And there might've been some other tweaks that I'm forgetting. Oh, I do know that we switched a couple of stories. So the who was their chapter had a story that was swapped with a who taught you how to be. So Hmm. some of those people could fit in either chapter, right? Right. Like a lot of times our stories could fit in a number of these questions, could be an answer to a number of these questions. So for a few different reasons, some balance reasons um, of just like pacing and heaviness or lightness or whatever, I swapped a couple of stories. They were the same stories, but I, they're answering a little bit of a different question. And those are the only main moves that I can think of. The rest of it was, it was how I laid it out in the chapter order. And then if she's also asking about the structure, which is each chapter, besides, besides what do you believe each chapter has like the italicies explanation Mm -hmm. at the beginning of sort of like how, how to think about the question, why the question matters, et cetera. And then I tell my stories or all the chapters, except for chapter three, which is sort of one long continuous essay. Every other chapter has sort of vignettes of stories, like three different stories or four different stories. That was me coming up with that way to write that completely out of necessity. I structured the book the way I do this podcast. When I am planning on doing this podcast, I write an intro for myself. I talk, you know, I talk about why this is what the episode means, whatever. And then we do the episode. So that's sort of the way that I was thinking about the book, I tried in the beginning for them to all be sort of longer form essays, like chapter three, what are you afraid of is, and it just didn't work. (laughs) Maybe I'm not a talented enough writer yet. Maybe my brain just thinks in these vignettes because Mm of social media, because, you know, I mean, just the way our brains are trained to share. I tried to make it more like intellectual and long form essay. And then I was like, no, this just isn't how I talk anymore. This isn't how I'm writing right now. 
how I would do this if this was a podcast episode would be like this. And when I, when I did it like that, I did a first rough draft like that. I was like, oh yeah, this is so much flowier. This sounds like me. This sounds like how I talk. This sounds like how I would present this if I was chatting with a friend. And I, I sort of had some hangups about that a little bit because I was like, is this less smart? Like to not do it as this timeless long form essay or something like that. And I was like, you know what? I'd eventually, I mean, I had to talk to my therapist about it and everything, but people were like, yeah, no, this is just what you're, this is what you're doing right now. This is what this is. And don't try to fight it. Don't try to make it be this thing. It's not. Right. It's just coming to recognize that this is really who you are. You know, we always have these ideas about who we are, who we want to be, or who we think we should be. And then saying, no, wait, that's not me. Mm-hmm. This, this is who I am right now. Yeah. Right. Okay. We've touched on this a little bit, but I just want to go back just so we don't miss any of the nitty gritty details. Deborah asked, did you arrange and pay for all the marketing of the book release? No, the publisher does that. Okay. I'm trying to think. I paid for a few little tiny things myself. Some of the stuff I wanted to use on social media and whatever, but the publisher does all of the marketing. This is of course, one of the benefits of working with a publisher. Exactly. Kalyani asks, I'd love a peek into your writing routine. So yeah. Do you write every day? Do you have a word count? What advice do you have for someone who is trying to develop their writing voice? Well, the last part of that question is to develop your writing voice. You should write the way you speak, which is so generic. Please know that I know that is generic advice, but it is also what I just described as the way that I came to write this book without trying to sound like a different type of writer or different type of writing. I also say this for myself. I don't have advice for people who want to develop their writing voice in complete generalness, generalities, because everyone is different. But I became a much better writer when I became a podcaster, much Mm. using my actual voice and being able to hear it back every week, (laughs) realizing if I totally rambled and actually didn't make that much sense, realizing if I was able to articulate a point like quickly and succinctly for the audio that taught me to be a better writer, which is funny because I don't like audiobooks generally. (laughs) So I'm not usually listening to to audio books, but the, it's more about communication, right? It's yes, more about just like mm-hmm. effectively communicating. And I look back at some of my older blog posts, which I loved writing and I thought I was a decent enough blogger for sure. But I can see now that I've been podcasting for a long time. I can see that my voice has gotten a lot stronger by using my like literal voice, by speaking it out, by seeing in the other person's face what resonates or when they're zoning out. Yeah. Like it's actually speaking in episodes on sort of awesome. Like again, when there were group episodes or, or face-to-face or even the solo shows that I do for 10 things to tell you, that's what has taught me to be a better writer. My voice brought me my voice. (laughs) That's super interesting. Okay. So Karen asks, and again, we've covered some of this, but when you launch your book, what was expected? I mean, we all know you created the pre-order bonuses. You've done a lot of interviews. And so she wants to know, were those scheduled by your publisher or, you know, did you pursue them on your own? Or maybe the right question is, which did you pursue on your own? There was a mix, you know, I reached out to friends who had platforms of some kind, you know, if they wanted to do an IG live or if they would let me be on their podcast, like if I had a relationship with them, then some of those I scheduled myself. 
somewhere scheduled through the publisher or my publicist's contacts. You know, they have a Rolodex of contacts that they pitched me to like, Hey, our author has a new book, which, you know, can she be on your show? Whatever. That was helpful because that put me in front of audiences that I, you know, were totally new to me or had maybe never heard of me, which is fantastic. I think in her question of what is expected of you to launch the book, I mean, they expect you to do everything you can to, yeah, get the word out, sell the book. There was many meetings leading up to the launch. Like all fall, we had a lot of meetings about like, about pre-order bonuses, about book launch teams, all those things we've already talked about. And, you know, they fully expected me to, they didn't tell me to do bonuses. Um, and they didn't, certainly didn't tell me what my bonuses should be, but they talked me through it. As I said, well, you know, a lot of people are doing bonuses and they were like, yes, why don't you try that? You know, they were very encouraging of, of whatever I was coming up with to sell the book, but they didn't force literally any of it. Like they weren't like, you Mm -hmm. have to do bonuses. They weren't like, you have to have a launch team. You have to do the promo. Now, probably that's because I was coming to the table with a bunch of ideas and thoughts about it already. I don't, you know, if you were a more reticent author, would they put expectations more like, you know, lay them out a little more clearly, possibly. But I I knew I was going to have to sell the book. And so I did everything that I could. I wanted to answer real quick that question from before. I didn't answer the part about, do you write every day? No. Do I have a word count goal? No. When I was writing this book, I set a timer. This is loosely the Pomodoro method, but not really because I don't really do it in strict Pomodoro style, but I set my timer for 30 minutes and I work for 30 minutes. And then when the timer goes off, I hit repeat. And I do this until I've done it three times so that it's two hours. I've done four sessions of 30 minute work. And then I stop for a few hours or, you know, maybe sometimes even for the day. I do it in the 30 minute increments, as opposed to just like setting the timer for two hours, because it just sort of keeps me it's like mile markers. If you're running, mm-hmm. I don't run where I'm like, I just sort of know where I am. And I'm like, okay, I just have one more session of these to go. And then I take a break after two hours. And in the hardest part of it, I don't have to come back and do another two hour sessions. I was sometimes doing three, two hour sessions a day. So six hours total with breaks in between, but you know, in a, in regular life, that's way too much. That's way, way, way too much. I don't think that your a creative mind can, that's too much. In a perfect world, I would do an intense two hours once a day. Like I just do an intense two hours and then that's that's it for the day. So I was measuring, t- I guess what I'm telling you is, and I, I talked about this back on episode about um, what are you measuring? I'll find the episode number of that, but I did an episode called What Are You Measuring? And it was just about this. I'm measuring time. Okay. Last question. Carolyn said, um, without getting into the nitty gritty, the personal aspects, right? Of money, how does getting paid to write a book work? I think a lot of people have this question. It's broad, but is this something that your agent really needs to navigate for you? Are you like, are there bonuses if you sell a certain number of copies or is it just a flat rate? Okay. That is a good question. And I think I would have been very curious about that too. So I'm answering from a traditional publishing standpoint, because that's what I did. I got paid a advance fee to write two books. So it was X amount of dollars. You know, it was a contract like anything else. They're going to give me X amount of dollars. I'm going to deliver two books. And the pay schedule, you know, they paid me X amount when I signed the contract at the very beginning. They paid me X amount 
when I turned in the first draft of the book, they paid me X amount when it published. They will pay me X amount when I turn in the second book. They will pay, you know, so it's like a, a right. divvied out fee like that. That's all going to culminate in this number that we agreed upon for two books. So that is that fee. Now, my agent did navigate that for me, for sure. That's why you have an agent because the agent will say, that's not enough. You know, like if they make an lowball offer and then the agent can be like, no, this other publisher has offered way more, but she would like to publish with you. So you need to up your offer. Like the agent navigates all of that. The agent will also tell you, yeah, this is a fair offer. You know, this is right in what I expected the number to be. You know, they can help you with that money piece yeah, of it. They, That's they why know you the have context, especially when yes. you're a brand new author. You're like, I don't know. This seems good. Is it good? I don't know. They know all the context, not only of like what you are worth in just on paper, not your worthiness as a human. They know, you know, because of, of your, the size of your platform or, you know, your percentage of conversion, meaning like how many people are going to buy your things. And you have to have a little bit of a proof of that. They know all of that. They also know, agents also know all kinds of things that there's no way you could know. So they know that this same publisher who's making you an offer made a much better offer to someone of your similar size. Mm -hmm. And can that gives them a negotiating tool of like, hey, you know, we know you have it, blah, blah, blah. Like this, it's just, it's almost like house buying or something. Like, you know, the agents know a bigger picture and a lot of information, um, you know, if you get an offer from a publisher that the word on the street is they're about to go bankrupt or something like that, your agent might be like, uh, I'm going to tap the brakes with this publisher, blah, blah, blah. That's why you have an agent. My agent is Lisa Jackson. She speaks back on episode 73 to us. Uh, I'm very pro agent. So the agent navigates that. Now, the second part of this question is there are bonuses for selling X amount of copies. So your advance rate, what they are paying you they have done their own calculations. This mm -hmm. is a business. This is math. They are expecting you to sell a certain amount of books. So let's say they're, they are expecting based on your size and everything that you are going to sell, let's say 10,000 books. Now it's a gamble for them because they have paid you um, money expecting you to sell that many books. <laughs> right. And many, many times authors won't meet that. So they have made money on the deal. They haven't sold as many books. A much better scenario for all involved is if you go viral and you sell 100,000 books, so you sell 10 times more books than what your advance fee is, then yes, then you start getting paid per book. I mean, you start getting paid like commission or whatever. All of that is in your contract. So the contract says, you know, you earn out what your advance payment is. So they're like, once you have earned out this amount of dollars, then you start getting money paid on units sold. From what I understand, a lot of authors, especially first-time authors, they never go above, you know, they never earn out their advance. But this is a longer-term game because then you might ask, well, then why are the publishers <laughs> giving deals if they're losing money maybe on that first book or whatever. It's a longer term game and that a first time author may not earn out her advance or his advance, but their third book is going to like kill it. And they have these, these other books of experience, you know, behind them that then also start to do better and that kind of thing. So every publisher I talked to was interested, even if they were going to give me a one book deal or a two book deal or whatever, they were interested in like a longer term relationship mm -hmm. in that 
we foot the bill for all of this at the beginning, you know, a somewhat hefty bill. Honestly, we're taking a gamble on you because we think in a few years, you're going to be, you're on a trajectory to sell a ton of books for us. Right. So we're not sweating the first it's book. It's an investment. It's an, it's investment. an investment. It's a, it's them. an investment. It's a relationship. It's a longer game than just launch week for them. And likewise, they don't claw the money back, right? So if you were a first-time author who doesn't sell that threshold, they don't say, oh, well, then you owe us back because yes, we gave no. you this. Like, that's just their gamble. It's the author. And of course, it's in, like you said, everyone's best interest for, you know, to, to match that threshold and to go over it and to continue the relationship because that's just, that's good for them. It's good for you. Right. So is it a fair question to ask if you've met your threshold? <laughs> um, you don't have to answer well, that. I- I was just, I was actually not told this until after my book published because I don't know if you were following, but my book sold out the first week. That's why I was wondering. And I was like, what, why, why is the book selling out? What are we doing? Because I did not know how many were printed. You know, no one had ever told me how many were printed. So I was like, well, why are we out everywhere? This is a good problem to have. It's also a very frustrating problem Mm -hmm. to have because I'm promoting a book all over the world that you can't, you can't purchase. Yes. It was backordered everywhere. And people even who'd ordered it, who pre-ordered it, weren't getting it, right? It was very, very frustrating. I mean, you could always buy the audio. You could always buy the Kindle version, the ebook version. But, you know, the the physical book sold out literally everywhere in the first week. And while people were like, congratulations, I was like, oh, no, because you can't print a book and it be available the next day. You know what I mean? Like you, there was a lag time that was panicky behind the scenes. There was a lot of panic happening behind the scenes. So I learned in that process that I was like, oh, okay. They, I didn't even know what they expected my numbers to be that I blew right past. So my overall deal, which was lovely. I had a lovely overall deal. I have not met that first threshold yet. I I don't have any problem saying that it's only been two months, but um, I, I did exceed these early day numbers. <laughs> right. Just, yes. Which is a good foretelling, right? Like obviously no one knows exactly what's going to happen. That's a very busy time for books, but that's good. Yeah. I felt good about it. I felt great about it. I mean, it's, the book is currently in its fourth printing. So they've had to reprint it three times after the original run, um, which is mind blowing to me. Like I'm just, Uh, Yeah. Mind-blowing, but amazing, but mind-blowing. Yeah. That's really cool. Okay. I have no more questions. Well, I'm sure I'll think of some later, but this has been so fun. It's been so good just to hear. I know that I have wondered just as your friend and then all of the people who listen to some things to tell you also, we all feel like we're your friends. You know, we've just been like, I wonder what's going on. So it's been so good to get the personal update. Thank you, Kelly, for coming on and being just like someone I can chat with about this. I totally trust you. I love chatting with you. And I just wanted to talk about this book release stuff, because like I said at the very beginning, I was always curious before I was an author about a lot of these questions, and especially from people that I had read or followed or listened to for a long time. And so I trusted that they would tell me the truth about it. That's what I wanted this episode to be is like a truth telling from behind the curtain And so I just really appreciate you coming and having that conversation with me. My pleasure. Do you want to tell the listeners, because they might want to come listen to you and your lovely voice, can tell us where they can hear more from you, where they can follow you, all of that stuff. 
Sure. I am on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly Gordon MN from Minnesota. Um, and of course, you can hear me on the Sort of Awesome podcast where I'm a regular co-host. So I'm not there every week. Meg Teets is our fearless leader and she is there every week. But I'm there and just loving it. We're doing a special series right now for our Patreon subscribers too. It's really fun. We've got a lot of good energy going on over there. Man, I love that show. I will always love that show. I'll tag this everywhere listeners in the show notes and the show description so that you can go follow Kelly so that you can go listen to Sorta Awesome. But thank you so much, my friend. Mm, it was so great. I'm Laura Tremaine, and you've just listened to the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. Remember, this is an interactive podcast. I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. So take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.